0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, worship team. Please turn your Bibles with me to Genesis 3:15. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and that's page 3 on the Bible. And the pew in front of you. So this morning is going to be a little bit different, uh, because this morning I'm going to talk nice and slow. I've been told that, <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're laughing, but it would have been really awkward if you were not laughing at that bad joke. So thank you for laughing. I've been told I talk too fast sometimes when I come up here, so I'm going to take my time and we're going to go nice and slow this morning. Um, But really, it's going to be a little bit different this morning because uh, a few weeks ago at the end of July, um, I traveled to Toronto for a few days on a mission trip uh, with some of our high school students who are sitting at the front here this morning and uh, youth leaders, and we were there for five days and four nights. And uh, the purpose of this trip was to go to a a big city, go to a heavily populated urban center where you have thousands upon thousands of people um, who are living with physical and emotional and spiritual needs needs, or a combination of those needs, um, the likes of which we don't have in the same way here in Leamington in smaller towns. And of course, we have people living with the same physical and emotional and spiritual needs everywhere, uh, even in small towns. But. Uh, there's something about the big cities where we have uh, a higher concentration of uh, people who are living with these needs uh, in the bigger cities. And so we went on this trip um, with the hopes of uh, going on and reaching out to these people and being with them and serving them and blessing them and uh, spending some days with them and uh, just being with them. And uh, this team did an amazing job uh, going on the streets and talking to people and, uh, and getting down on their level and that just did an amazing job. And so this morning they're going to come up in a few minutes and uh, they're gonna, you're going to hear from them. You're going to hear stories and testimonies from the trip this morning. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, we're going to spend some a few minutes in the word this morning. Um, So leading up to our trip, uh, we had team training meetings uh, just to get ourselves ready and get these guys ready. And uh, one of the things that we talked about at length is how we perceive people in need um, because often there's a stigma that people who are homeless or people who are on the streets uh, that they're in that predicament in life Because they don't want to help themselves or because they're lazy Or perhaps because uh, they just don't want to do any better than that or they don't have the motivation or the ambition to get ahead in life And the reality is that it's not that simple many people who find themselves in that predicament uh, There's many different factors that come into play when you find yourself on the street and there's uh, there's addiction um, There's mental illness, there's the cycle of poverty where you are born in poverty and you spend your whole life in poverty and uh, you don't have the tools for the help or what you need to get out of that. And so you're born in poverty and your kids are born in poverty, you never break this cycle. Uh, There's mental illness, there's abuse, just to name a few, and sometimes a combination of those things. And so people who are struggling with this often don't have the tools that they need um, to get ahead and get out of that and they find themselves on the streets. And so we talked about how we can break that stigma and not look at people who are homeless or on the streets as people who are, again, lazy or people who are bums, but rather other people who are lost, people who are broken, and people who need the love of the Father as much as all of, us, all of us in this room. And so we talked about that quite a bit. And so this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes in the Word and have a quick look at what the Bible tells us about God the Father and His love for us. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And one of the things that we often hear is that in the New Testament, God the Father, He's a cool, loving Father. He's a chill Father who loves His children. But yet in the Old Testament, um, it's a whole different story. In the Old Testament, we're talking about a God uh, who often seems vengeful and angry and uh, just really not a lot of fun to be around. Um, So we're going to have a quick look at what the Father looks like in both the Old Testament and the New Testament and see how we can reconcile um, the different sides of the Father that we seem to have in Scripture. So going all the way back to the Old Testament, one of the things that people often bring up to say that the Father is not um, hes not quite as loving or His loving nature is not on display as much in the Old Testament is that in the Old Testament we see a lot of His wrath on display. We, fee- we see His wrath fully on display. Uh, and the, the Old Testament is full of examples of God's wrath. And there's too many to go through all of them this morning, but there's a couple of them um, that I want to bring up because I find that they really capture just how intense, just how uh, how fierce God's wrath is on display in the Old Testament. So if you go to First uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15 um, the Lord says that he said to uh, um, Samuel he said now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have do not spare them but kill both man and woman child and infant ox and sheep camel and donkey and so we look at that and we go that's really harsh that's really intense and here's God commanding these people to go to battle and to kill everyone on their path including children and infants and we go, like, that's really, really intense. That's really harsh. And if you go further back, we go to Exodus 22, verse 18, and here Moses is writing about people who are involved in some pretty dark, evil stuff. People who are involved in sorcery and engaged in consulting with evil spirits. And when he writes about them I mean, like in verse 18 of chapter 22 in Exodus, he says, do not allow sorcerers to live. And so we look at that and we go, again, that's really harsh. Because, yes, these people are doing some pretty shady stuff, some pretty awful stuff, but they're God's creature who God made, who God loves, and yet God is saying, do not allow them to live. And so we look at that and we say, man, the Old Testament is really I'm uh, just full of God's wrath. And last week we had Ben up here. Ben was teaching and talking from Psalm 58 and all the terrible things that David called for those who were not walking with the, uh, with the Lord, with God. And so, again, the Old Testament is just in multiple locations. God tells the Israelites uh, to go to battle, to go to war, and to take no prisoners, just to kill everyone on their path. And nowadays we call that war crimes because when you go to battle, you're not supposed to kill everyone. You're supposed to you know, show mercy to your enemies so you capture. But in the Old Testament, God says, kill everyone on your path and to show no mercy. And so, again, we look at that in the Old Testament, uh, sometimes it makes me go, like, God seems a little bit crazy, just a little bit, uh, just really mean or not uh, really merciful in the Old Testament. Uh, But the reality, the truth is that it's actually a little bit deeper and more complex than that. Um, The truth is that we have to look at the context of the Old Testament. And the context is that in the Old Testament, uh, we're talking about a world that was uh, a place full of uh, nations that were at war with each other. And all these nations were worshiping false gods and false idols. And pretty much all of humanity had turned their backs on God, and they had turned to sin. And so we're talking, about a really really dark world and 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 only a small group of people were chosen to walk with god and even this small group of people were struggling over and over just to live up to this that god set for them and so we're talking about a really dark place and so in the midst of all of that in the midst of all that darkness and sin um, how we see that god deals with all that sin is that the father is just his wrath reveals a father who is fair who is just and it reveals a father who's always the same see when it comes to sin uh, where he stands it's always the same throughout all of time he hates sin and the wage of sin is death. See, if the Father changes his mind now and then when it comes to sin, or the penalty for sin, or if you look the other way sometimes, if sometimes he just had a softer side when it comes to sin, then we would say that God is not consistent, right? He would say that maybe sometimes he's not who he says he is, but when it comes to sin, he's always the same. So the way the Father deals with sin in the Old Testament uh, seems harsh to us sometimes, but it actually goes to show just how terrible sin is that, the, that God the Father would deal with it in such a harsh and radical way. And so it reveals a father who's uncompromising when it comes to sin, and therefore he's just, he's fair, he doesn't change his mind when it comes to sin. He's a judge and a ruler who is impartial and who is fair. And if the father is fair and the penalty for sin is always going to be death, then when he passes judgment on sin, the outcome is always going to be death, right? And so again, the Old Testament, it seems like it's full of wrath, like it's full of God's anger. But when we look at that, what I see is a God who is just. A God who is just his wrath is overflowing out of just his full hatred towards sin. So now we fast forward to the Old Testament, the New Testament. Sorry, and now we have all of a sudden a God, a Father who's much more loving and forgiving. We see much more compassion. And so I look at that, and the question is, what happened? They got changed. Um, they got chill out over time. Um, but the answer I think is that God the Father was always loving and forgiving, uh, even in the Old Testament times. At the same time, as He was being fair and just. See, in the New Testament, Jesus is the one who shows compassion and love and grace to everyone He meets. And it's Jesus who goes to the cross and He did the ultimate um, act of love when He died on the cross to deal with sin and to deal with death. Uh, So we could say that Jesus perhaps he's the one who is loving and forgiving and that the Father is still the one who is just. Um, but I think that Scripture shows that the Father is loving and forgiving in the Old and New Testament. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, we find out how we see the Father's loving and forgiving nature from the start. See, in Genesis 3, we learn that from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, um, the Father set a plan in motion to restore and to redeem humanity. Here's what Genesis 3, verse 15, our passage says for this morning. It says, "...and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel." So here we have God talking to Satan right after the fall of man. And when he talks about the offspring of the woman, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Son of Man. And it says that you, talking to Satan here, will strike his heel, the heel of Jesus, which means that Satan is going to attack Jesus, and which he did when Jesus was wounded on the cross and when he died on the cross. But we know, however, that Jesus did not stay dead, that he rose from the dead, and that he crushed the enemy's head when he defeated death after the cross, right? And so we see a father who could not stand to see his beloved creation, us, be lost for all of eternity. And so because he loves and because he forgives, he's got a plan to make everything right. See, from the start, from the moment that we walked away from sin and sin entered into this world, he had a plan to restore and to redeem his creation. And so when the time came for his plan to finally be completed through the death of Jesus, as much as it hurt him and as much as it broke his heart to go through with it and to let his son be put to death, um, Jesus went to the cross and he died because that was the Father's will. Because that, that was the Father's will for us. And so we see that because the Father loved so much that he gave his only son so that we may have life and so in the Old Testament, the Father is just. He's a, he hates sin. Sin is a rebellion against God, and, the, and death is the price to pay for sin. And so His wrath against our sin is fully revealed throughout the Old Testament. And yet He's loving. He's also loving and forgiving. And He's at work from the start to make us new and to make us pure again. And so in the New Testament, the Father is still just, and sin is an abomination in His eyes. And the penalty is still death. But now that the Father deals with sin once and for all through the death of Jesus. And so his wrath, which we deserve, now is poured out on Jesus and he takes our place. And yet, in his wrath against our sin, the Father demonstrates his love and his forgiveness when he completes his plan through Jesus. And so, this team here uh, that went to Toronto, we went to Toronto with that, uh, with the goal and the hope of showing people the love of the Father. Uh, There's so many people who are lost, who are broken, and they have not experienced yet or embraced yet the love of the Father and they need that. They're, they haven't uh, quite understood that they're on the path to destruction if they don't embrace God's, uh, God's love. And so we wanted to go there and, and through different uh, means and ways, show people who are lost how much the Father loves them, and he has got made, he's got much better plans for them now as well. If they're broken, he wants to heal them and make them better. And so these guys have been working for a few weeks, getting ready to come up and, uh, and talk to you guys about their trips. I'm going to call them up now. Come on up, guys, and grab your stools, and you're going to hear from each one of them as they talk this morning about their trips. So give them a hand as they come up this morning, please. Yeah. So, Isla is going to go first. She's got a few thoughts for you guys this morning. Isla, you ready? Nope.
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm Isla, and I'm going to be talking about the time we spent with some of the homeless people we met in Toronto. Um, so, on day three was the day we most interacted with homeless people, though I will mention that working at the shelter was a great experience for me, too. So, we had the opportunity to tour the streets of Toronto, and at one point, we handed out food and Sandwiches and, Jen, and us. as a specific. I was in a group with Renee and Brady, so we as a small group walked up to the people and offered them a sandwich and a water bottle. One of the most memorable experiences was meeting Jen and Paul. These were two awesome people I was able to connect with through music, and I ended up talking to Jen for almost 10 minutes about instruments alone, uh, as her friend Paul had been playing the clarinet when we saw them and walked up to see. Um, Jen spoke about how she had taught uh, sorry, she had, she had taught Paul, Paul how to play and he had become such an excellent player. Um, I then told her about how I play saxophone in school, and she revealed hers, which was the exact same model as mine, I might add. Um, <laughs> we also met a man named Anthony, and when we asked him if he had wanted a sandwich, he wasn't actually sure if we were offering him safe food. He literally asked us if the food was poisoned, which really says a lot about how these people are treated. Um, during the trip, I had the realization that these people offer what little they have so others can be happy as well. Uh, a lot of the people on the streets are a community. Like Jen and Paul, they're like best friends and they shared everything. Uh, and I witnessed a woman offer a part of her say much to another. Uh, after this, we met, uh, this one man for the second time on the same day. The first time he was cleaning car windows for a small amount of money, and the second time he was sitting on the sidewalk alone. I remember the horrified look on his face when we approached him. He was really quiet, once, um, He was really quiet, but once he opened up, he told us that he actually sleeps at the shelters throughout the week because he does have a normal construction job, but actually prefers to sleep outside on the weekends because the shelters are in such bad shape. Uh, because the housing is so expensive in Toronto, he does not have a home. And the main stereotype around homeless people is that they're lazy or addicts, or they're outcasts, society spits out. Really, they're just people like us that take desperate measures to survive. We met this woman in a wheelchair, and all she wanted was a hot coffee, and she went on a busy road back and forth through the traffic just to ask for money. Next, we met this man with a name I thought was pretty cool. (laughs) He went by the name 007, which I'm assuming has something to do with James Bond. <laughs> we met on a slightly sketchy street near Dollarama, just in specific. <laughs> Xavier ended up taking him to get a coffee at Tim Hortons, which later did not, um, did not end very well because the man ang- became angered and it was sad to watch him get mad at the cashier. 007 thought that the cashier had skimped on his tea and had not given him a tea bag, so he ended up losing it. and. Uh, page term, uh, I felt sorry for him. Uh, He has seen so many things that he can't trust anyone anymore, and earlier he had acted as a little child, so excited to talk to someone, um, and he was gleeful and upbeat. He showed us all of his favorite places by pointing and he was just smiling, Uh, but that turned around when he had falsely suspected that a person was wronging him. So this trip was truly eye-opening for me. The streets of Toronto are full of people in need and I hope we left a lasting impression on the folks we met because I will always remember them. Some instructions that apply to our everyday life and remind me of the faces I saw in Toronto is this, found in Hebrews chapter 13 verses one to three. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself, and remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Uh, When we were challenged by our leaders to connect with the homeless on the streets, I was scared. I may not have wanted to admit it, but I was. I didn't know how people were going to react, but everybody needs love. Just talking to someone can make their day. Many were defensive at first, but actually opened up to us as we got to know them a little. And this is what I have brought home, and this is what I'm gonna keep.
3: Hey I'm Liam. Uh, My trip to Toronto was an eye-opening experience. There are many instances where I realized that the difficulties of being homeless because I don't often think about homelessness because I'm fortunate to be part of a family that's well off. So our first day on the trip was spent exploring where we were going to perform random acts of kindness. Jonathan Connor and I were walking a bit behind the rest of the group when a fight broke out between a homeless man and another man. The reason for the fight was because the man had scared away the homeless man's pigeons that he was feeding. This did seem funny to me at first but when we talked about it as a group it made a bit more sense. If a random person had scared away the pigeons that were my company, I think I'd be a bit mad too, but, yeah. (laughs) Um, The most eye-opening thing that I did was giving out food to the homeless people. To cover more area, we split up into small groups. I was in a group with Henry and Jonathan. If I'm being honest, the area that we were covering was a bit more sketchy than we had anticipated. Our food was gone in a matter of minutes. During that time, I got to see many things. One thing that I remember was helping a homeless man get to the hospital. You're probably wondering, well, what happened? So, 15 minutes prior to the incident, we, meaning Henry and Jonathan, and I uh, had offered the man something to drink, since we had run out of food to give, but I think he was way too drunk to know what was going on, so we just wished him a good day and set, set on our way. At this point we were heading to the checkpoint where the small groups would meet up. But then I looked back at, and see the intoxicated man struggling to cross the street and fall over. I kept looking back because I was sure that something was going to happen. He had almost made it to the other side of the street, but he had tripped and stumbled forward and hit his head off the curb. I immediately told Henry that we should go back and check on him. So we did. and. He was in and out of consciousness. A couple of seconds later, a lady riding her bike stopped to see what was wrong. Then she called emergency services. When they arrived, I gave them a description of what happened. And knowing that he'd be all right, uh, we set back to the checkpoint. When we got to the checkpoint, we arrived earlier than the other groups because uh, we, we got rid of our food pretty quick. I was amazed standing at the checkpoint, just observing what was going on around me. Some of the things I saw were drug deals and people actually taking the drugs, and just many things that you don't normally see in downtown Kingsville or Leamington. These are some of the things I experienced on the trip to Toronto. Uh,
4: Yeah, this is a lot more people than my English class. About a month ago, I went with Xavier along with all the others you already know to Toronto for what I would call a planting mission. Our goal was to plant small thoughts about kindness in Christ. On this trip, we did a few things, some of which you might have already heard or are going to hear. I don't know the order. I didn't know the order when I made this, so. We was, I was asked to talk to you about the Good Shepherd, which is a soup kitchen located in one of the more poorer parts of Toronto. Every day of the year, there are two meals served, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Each of them are flocked to by not only homeless, but anyone in need of a meal. Maybe someone who can't afford to buy groceries, or they're just in a very tight spot financially. Either way, the kitchen serves them the same. The first thing I got to do while I was at the kitchen was to hand out eggs, which happened to be the first place these men would come, so I was also the greeter. I think I stood there for handing out out eggs for about an hour and a half. I believe that was the most humbling moment of my life. Just standing standing there watching these people shuffle around showed me just how much I have to be grateful for. Not only only was it humbling, it was eye-opening. Seeing that many walk through those doors showed me just how many more are in need than I originally thought. When we first met the others who were helping out, I was amazed to learn just how many of them were there every week. It was almost all of them. When the people started coming in, these volunteers began working, and it was unbelievable to see the care and passion they had for helping the homeless. When they talked to them, it wasn't out of pity, but of genuine friendship. And when they looked at them, they weren't judging them. They were simply smiling at someone who needed a smile. They were showing me the love that God has for everyone, not even just those who believe, but every person who walked in that door got a warm welcome. I remember sitting down after with some of the other volunteers and having one of the best conversations I've ever had with someone I had met literally just two hours prior. It wasn't a deep or super meaningful conversation, just a simple, relaxing talk. But it made me think. If I I needed a simple talk like that, I can't imagine how bad one of the people I served might need that, far more than I would have. But I'd have to say, if there was one thing I could have done differently that day, it would have been trying to have a conversation with one of those guys. But I could also be partly wrong, because while they might have needed to eat or talk, they also needed to sleep, and maybe they had already made friends with some of the other people participating in the overnight program the shelter offered. The Good Shepherd has over 60 available beds each night, with more beds being spaced randomly where they can fit them. The men come at 5.30 to line up and book a bed. They then come back later around 8.30 to check in. If someone doesn't show up for the, for the beds, they offer the empty beds to the next line of people that show up around 9 o'clock. Every day, after the men leave from the night before, the beds are stripped of their sheets and replaced with fresh new ones, while the dirty ones are washed. The shelter also provides them with access to warm showers and soap, which is acquired through a deal with a nearby hotel. When a guest at the hotel doesn't use their complimentary body wash, shampoo, or conditioner, the hotel sends them to the shelter for use by one of the men. Along with the soap, the shelter also hands out items of clothing, such as shirt, sweaters, pants, shorts, socks, shoes, hats, all of which is acquired through donations. Some of our other jobs included sorting clothes and making beds. My favorite part of the trip was when we were making beds. We were all working when someone started humming And not long after, we were doing group karaoke to some of the randomest songs off of memory while we made the beds. It was probably the most entertaining thing I've ever done. (laughs) The last job that we had while we were there was to check the dates on the canned food, which was mostly just taking like 20 cans out of a box and reading the date and then putting them back in the box and back on the shelf over and over and over and over again. It was still a lot easier when there was a few people working, which meant more karaoke. I'm pretty sure I covered everything we did there, but I also wanted to share some of my other thoughts that I had while we were there. First was the number of volunteers. I don't remember there being a single job that didn't have at least two people working on it at all times. Next, it was very impressive to actually witness the difference that this shelter makes instead of just hearing about it. Lastly was that the building the shelter runs out of is a very large building, which I would assume is not very cheap. And to know that these people, that there are people who pay to keep it running so that they can keep serving the community is very, very helpful to know. I was also asked to find a Bible verse to tie up my speech today. And the verse I found is, "At the present time your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality." 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 14. I thought that verse fit pretty well as it describes someone giving to help someone who needs it, and that man in turn would give back to the first when they became in need. Thank you for listening to me stutter and mumble my way through this presentation. <laughs>
5: Hi, my name is Brady Milot, and I have been blessed through having the opportunity to serve God in Toronto alongside such an amazing team. I would like to thank everyone that prayed for and supported us prior to, during, and after this experience. And most importantly, praise be to God for sending us to Toronto to serve and grow in him, and for keeping us safe throughout the trip. There are two main topics that I'd like to share with you. The public acts of kindness ministry that we did, as well as some of the things that God taught me and put on my mind throughout the trip. To begin with, one of the days on our trip was dedicated to going into public points of interest and performing acts of kindness. Our group split up into a few groups in Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto, as well as one group which was Xavier and Connor who went to a large intersection nearby. And we handed out a variety of items to those around us. We handed out water, freezies and flowers, as well as bubbles and juice boxes for the kids. We spent a few hours handing out these items and the responses we got varied each time. Some people were not interested, some would accept what we were giving them and thank us, and some asked us why we were handing these items out. For those who wanted to know why, an opportunity was presented for us to share that since we believe that God loves us and commands us to love others, we were showing that love to them and letting them know that God loves them as well. As for those who weren't interested or didn't question the reason for our giving, it's safe to say that they were mostly either thankful or impacted in a positive way not only does God show us how to live like him and grow in him, but he loves us and is there for us, which is why it is so important to show that to others. I don't know the stories of the lives of those we interacted with, but an action as small as giving someone a water can potentially have an unimaginable impact on someone who needs to feel loved. So even though not every opportunity resulted in a chance to share about God and preach the gospel, I trust that we have planted a seed of God's love in the people we interacted with and that the seed will grow in them. The night after the Acts of Kindness ministry, I was thinking for a few hours before going to sleep about the difference between looking for reassurance and support from others as opposed to building oneself up in God. Looking for fulfillment is something that I have been misleading myself through for quite some time since I've been thinking about it all wrong for a while now, which I'll explain further. Those who know me well would know that I'm a people person. I haven't always been, but I enjoy being around people that make me happy way more than alone or quiet times. Leading up to the Toronto trip this year, I had been lacking the passion to see each day as a blessing and opportunity as I should have due to a lack of spending enough time in the Word and getting to know God. Instead, I dwelled over feeling lonely since I spend a lot of time with just me and my thoughts due to lack of involvement with friends outside of school and my close family being busy with work. I kept wanting to spend more time with people and felt that since that wasn't being fulfilled all the time and since I wasn't spending enough time with God, I felt that I couldn't satisfy myself. This is why I believe showing God's love through actions as small as giving someone a water is so impactful. It shows people that the God of the universe loves them, someone who we can connect with any time, is bigger than all of our problems, and can meet all of our needs. After waking up early one morning, I decided to think about how at the end of the day, I couldn't satisfy myself as I mentioned earlier. As I said before, I got lost looking for happiness in friends and family, which led to the most skewed mindset I may have ever had. I started to think that if I couldn't bring myself to feel satisfied at the end of the day, I could get by fine by bringing up others and being a light in their lives. And I'm not at all saying that I've been selfless all the time or that building up others is a bad thing, but I lost sight of the importance of my identity in Christ and my own faith. I bring this up not only to steer anyone who relates to this away from it, but also to show the better alternative, which is building oneself up in God, which is something that has been on my mind throughout the trip and since I got home. A verse that captures the positive alternative, which is finding one's identity in Christ, is Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10, which reads, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ ye have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. This verse sums up one of the biggest things that God taught me on this trip, which is to prioritize my relationship with Him rather than trying to find what He can only offer what well, only He can offer through earthly things. Thank you.
6: Hi, my name's Jonathan, and I'm a Butterfingers. So, on this trip, uh, I've been asked to speak about group experiences. Uh, The group was great, got to work with a lot of nice people. The most, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me is being able to see everybody work under pressure, being able to see everybody, how you may not always be able to see them. So as you're going along, you get to see the side of people, that may not be present in their everyday lives. So during the one trip, I was with Liam and Henry doing our, where we were giving out stuff. And walking down the one street, you could just smell it was illegal. It just smelled of unlawfulness. And so as we were going down that street, you know, you meet a lot of different characters. So coming up to the one place you could see there's a rehab center on one side, a rehab center on the other and just run down houses along the rest of the street. And you meet a range of people from complete addicts, people who are down in the gutter, to recovering people. So there was this one gentleman, he was part of some sort of recovery, recovery treatment, that he was now a custodian in a school. And he was hanging out along that street. It, kinda made me think you know is he attending these rehab centers currently or is he helping out with these rehab centers so it, it just kinda made me think about how how it worked so it also helped us to become closer because of these situations we actually needed someone with us but also we enjoyed the company. The company was great. It was wholesome. Uh, I really ha- really enjoyed hanging out with these guys. It was a marvelous experience. I wouldn't necessarily say that I enjoyed going along with these these schemes, I guess. Handing a, I'm I'm not one, to walk up to random strangers and start asking them if they want a freezy. Most people don't enjoy that. found that out. Um, but you get to... The few people who do accept your kindness do... enjoy it. They enjoy somebody just coming up and giving them hospitality. So Again, I got to see how Liam, I was with Henry and Liam, and Henry seems to be a lot better at that than I am. <laughs> so yeah, That's, and I'll leave off with the with a verse here, Proverbs 18.24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother.
7: What an awesome team. Can we just give them a round of applause for all putting together their things? awesome. Um, thank you so much for all your support, you guys. It was um, amazing seeing the turnout that we had for the car wash, with the fundraising, um, and especially all your prayers as we were on the trip. It was awesome, like I know that not all of it was what I don't think these guys expected, what I expected and it was um, amazing to go on this trip with these guys and they did a really wonderful job. And so we were just talking about um, the people that we met and saw and so Isla touched on one gentleman that we met and um, Xavier had mentioned that not every homeless person is in the same situation. Everyone has a different story and a background to them and one gentleman that we met, Sam, um, he was a gentleman that was going to work regularly throughout the week at a construction site and just due to the real estate atmosphere in Toronto, wasn't able to afford a place based on that wage. And so um, he had moved to Toronto a year ago and expected to have this great experience in Toronto, to work, to live and just have a normal life and that wasn't what was in store for him. I'm not sure what the story background was for him, whether he couldn't go home or um, what that was. but. It just was kind of an eye-opener on to the different lives and situations that are out there. And uh, these guys all touched on it too, but it's amazing how long it's been since these people have had an actual conversation with people, like the time that goes by in between. And so they just want to talk with you and just, um, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And it's it's really cool to hear their stories and to be a part of that and spreading that love Um, yeah so we just have a video for you guys just what the trip was like for us and we wanted to share that with you guys so we'll cue that up there
0: As we get ready to close, we have a prayer team here at Meadowbrook, and when the service is done, if you need prayer for anything at all, we'll invite you forward and just come on up, and they're happy to pray with you for anything at all. If you're not going to pray, that's fine, and we're just going to ask you to move outside so that this can be a quiet place to pray. You can do your visiting out there. Let's close together. Father, thank you for this team and what they accomplished and what you accomplished through them, Lord, what you did in their hearts, and the impact that they had on the hearts of others, and just thank you for their uh, example for the rest of us of, of living out this life of love, love of God and love of neighbor that you have called us to. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Father, help us to rest in that love and help us to live that love out as we go about our week. Help us to know that you are with us and help us to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great long weekend. Have a great week.
6: We'll see you next Sunday.